Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Methoughts that I had broken from the tower and was embarked to cross to Burgundy. That is the Duke of Clarence in Shakespeare's play Richard III, uh, at the time, he is immured in the Tower of London. He's very soon going to be drowned in a butt of Malmsey. And in his dream, he has this terrifying vision of being pushed off the ship by his younger brother, Richard, the future Richard III. Terrible visions as he drowns beneath the sea. But Dominic, we will be coming to Richard III, uh, the myth, the reality, the princes in the Tower, all that kind of stuff on a show um, in the new year. But for now, what I want to focus on in that quote, why I chose it, is how you can get a ship from England and cross to Burgundy. Because, of course, Burgundy yeah. isn't on the coast. <laughs> you can't sail to Dijon. It's <laughs> no, not possible. Absolutely not. So um, what is going on here? Um, well, and- but it's, Burg- it's Burgundy, isn't it? It's so strange and interesting. So I remember first coming across Burgundy. So I was at my grandfather's house, and he had this huge pile of old encyclopedias, kind of leather-bound encyclopedias of history. And I was kind of bored, and I was flicking through them, and there was a picture taking up. They were, they were incredibly old. They were kind of late Victorian or Edwardian. And there was a picture taking up the whole page, an engraving. And it was an engraving of this meeting on a bridge between, who is it, John the Fearless and his kind of French rival, and they're having a parley, and John the Fearless is about to be butchered to death. And I thought, oh my God, this is, a, you know, this is amazing. Even at the age of sort of nine or 10, I could see this was this incredible Game of Thrones style story, this great soap opera. I think before we get into that, we should explain what we're talking about. But that's the thing. Of people, I didn't know, I so didn't lot, know when I read it what Burgundy was. Okay. So should, we should, let's just, so, so the, four, the late 14th, 15th century, Burgundy is yeah. not just the French region of Burgundy now, no. but this great agglomeration of territories that goes up to the North Sea and incorporates much of what's now Belgium, Holland, the Netherlands, all that. And it's one of the great what-ifs of history because it's a, a, an incredible process of state building that could well have seen a, you know, a, a new kingdom emerge yeah. between it's a tragedy what's... for the world that Burgundy exists <laughs> as a yes. country don't you and the mem- and I guess the fact that Shakespeare is talking so it, it collapses at the end of the 15th century but still at the end of the 16th century Shakespeare is talking about it so it's there in Richard III in um, King Lear uh, Cordelia has the, the the choice between you know the kings of France and the kings of waterish Burgundy and it's waterish because you know it's the canals the dikes yeah. of the low countries so it's an incredible story a story that is I, I think not widely known in England, but it should be because the English are key players in this drama together with the French and the Burgundians. Um, and it's the subject of a, a recently published book translated from the Flemish that you absolutely loved, didn't you? I did. You made it one of your it. history books of the year. Uh, Bart Van Loo, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Burgundians. And do you know Empire. what, Tom? A very exciting moment for the podcast. We have Bart Van Loo here with us. <laughs> well, who'd have thought it? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what a turn up for the books. Hello, Bart. Yes, I'm talking to you from the old uh, county of Flanders, not far away from the Battle of Rosebeck, not far from Ypres and Bruges. So it's, it's the right place to talk uh, to you about Burgundy in Flanders. Well, but it's brilliant to have you on because I think you are, you're our first Belgian guest. Our first Burgundian guest. But that's how I like, that's how we prefer to think of you as a Burgundian. So <laughs> could we, good. could we kick off uh, with a question from um, Barry Grogan, very much a friend of the show, who asked very simply, who and what are the Dukes of Burgundy? I have vague memories of them perhaps being involved in the capture of Joan of Arc. And I mean, that's right, isn't it? We'll come that's to right, Joan of Arc right. perhaps yes, later. Yes, 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 yes. But just to begin with, 
who are the Dukes of Burgundy? Yes. How is it that they're able to almost to construct this new realm? Yes. Maybe let's start very from the basics. Let's let's take a look at the map of Europe at the end of the the Middle Ages. And on the continent, we see two powers. We see the French kingdom and we see the Holy Roman Empire. And between the two, there's a border. Likely, it's going to rest forever. And we in the north, we exist. Eh? We have Flanders, we have Brabant, we have Zealand and Holland. But either we belong to France or either we belong to, say, Germany, the Holy Roman Empire. And then nobody saw it coming. In the 14th, 15th century, we see, um, we see come, there is, there is the, 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 how do you say it? The apparition of a new, of a new state between those two superpowers. And that is the fruit of the labor of those forgotten dukes of Burgundy. And, and it's, 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 it's incredible just to put it in another way. I am 40, I am a 40 year old Dutch speaking Belgian. I am unexplicable without the Dukes of Burgundy because what they created is the Low Countries, the Nederlanden. It's yeah. it's 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 a cradle of what become further on Belgium and 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 the Netherlands. And and famously, Belgians, you know, Belgium is divided between Flemish speakers yes. and French speakers, and, and that I guess also is a legacy of. Yes, and it, of course it is, and and it, it they have been overlooked in national history in Belgium, in Holland. In France, in England, the Daily Telegraph, they put a telegraph, they put a title on the review of my book. I, I love the title. We forgot the Burgundians! <laughs> Exclamation mark. But Bart, do you know, you'll be very pleased to know this, I studied them at school. Did you? Yeah, I did. At school? Did. But at, at what age? Uh, 17 to 18. At A-level, 17 to 18? Tom. Yeah, did them at A-level. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, and I so you know being, all about this. I know all about this. I know all <laughs> about this. I've been going through my A-level notes. Well, I'm you don't know as much as Bart. I mean, I'm writing a book about it. No, that's that's possibly true. I mean, but, Bart should give you a quiz or something. <laughs> so yes, yes, I, I will ask him some questions. So Tom, you will agree? No, that... no, I don't want a yeah. quiz. Wait, wait, wait. This, this is like this awful kind of flashbacks where you have to go and answer an essay on Hamlet and you haven't done the revision. Yes, it's oh, it's good, it's good. I like that. But you will agree, Tom, that this history of a geopolitical evolution of the highest order in the same time it's also a game of throne story it's about Absolutely. banquet stakes and battles and murders and adultery and bastards and the only thing it's schizophrenic kings aggressive dukes uh, yeah. go on and and the only thing that is missing are dragons but for a good reason because this well, is game, game of thrones that is real that really happened in I, 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 and but you, you say game of thrones i mean there are, there are dwarves <laughs> yes, on there are giants. Dwarves. There are kind yes. of incredible feasts. There are chivalric orders. I mean, and it has to be said that all four, there are basically four dukes. They all have brilliant kind of uh, subriquets, um, mm -hmm. and they're all they're all massive lads. I mean, there is no getting away from it. So let's so, start with the first one. Let's go to the very beginning. So Bart, I think in your book you kick off with the battle of a great moment in English history, the Battle of Poitiers, where we. Wipe the floor with the French. Yes. So why, does, why does that matter for Burgundy? What, this is Hundred very, Years' War, isn't it? Uh, we should it's just say Hundred Years' War. That, that uh, Edward maybe. III has claimed the yes. English throne, and his son Edward the Black Prince. Yes, it's the Hundred Years' War, and normally every Englishman should know about it. But maybe we can. We can, do. You have uh, a stopwatch. Maybe uh, I can try to explain <laughs> yeah, the Hundred year, Years' War in less than one minute. Go for it. So in France, the stock of royal successor was exhausted. There was only left a woman, but she was married to the King of England, who became, just because he was sleeping in the right bed with the right woman, King of France. And the French didn't like that, so they invented new game rules. The power cannot be given to a woman. And that the English didn't like. And they invaded France, conquered one third, two thirds, almost the whole kingdom. How many seconds? That was about, that was about, yeah, it was about 30. I mean, you've, got, you've got extra time. You yes, do what you like. Yeah, let's go. Yes, because, uh, <laughs> because we talk about a hundred years war, but at that moment, people didn't were aware of that. It's yeah. not this, that some Englishman was saying, Oh, it's year <laughs> it's 17. He said to his, to his neighbor, we, 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 we have 83 uh, years to come. No. And, and at the end, it, it lasted 116 years, but nobody dared to call this war the, <laughs> 116 <laughs> years war because it's not so sexy. So we are on that battle of Poitiers in 1356. In France, they've completely forgotten about it because, of course, you won. It was Crécy. You have Agincourt. You have Poitiers. In France, they, it's overshadowed by another battle, the Battle of Poitiers. That's a, my first quiz question. Which Battle of Poitiers they talk about in France? 
Oh, the Shah Martel. Yeah. Of course, 732. They talk about that all the time. Because, but we are in 1356 and John the Good, that's the, I don't know why they called him John the Good because he was a complete mess. But <laughs> the, he, he is too enthusiastic and he's there with the best trained army of Europe. He cannot lose this battle. But at the end, he, 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 he we see the English, he, the, the half of his army is deserting. So the English, They, they, they all go, they are fighting themselves away to John the Good. They can ask a lot of money if they get him. And then, very important, it is the first moment of glory of our first founding father, Philip the Bold. And Philip the Bold is just a little guy. He has 14 years, just about 13, 14 years old. And he's transforming himself into a, a military GPS. He's saying to his father, look out from the right, look out, beware on, on the left. And, 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 and so he's able to kill some, some, some English soldiers, but it's, it's, It's it's impossible. At the end, uh, feet were being broken, arms chopped off, entrails spilling from open bellies. The group around the French king was shrinking by the minute. And so at the end, he has to surrender to, can I say so, perfect Albion, as they would <laughs> you, say you can't, later you on. You can't say that on this no, you podcast. Can't say that no, on this podcast. Say, yes, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Bart, Bart you, you, you were on a French podcast yesterday and you mustn't get them muddled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, were, you coming, were you saying that kind of stuff on the French podcast that you went on? Uh, yes, but it's, 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 it's another... We had quite laughs. We are just uh, starting and we laugh because in France, I'm a Francophile. I'm known as a Francophile. But when you are talking <clears> on France culture, nobody's laughing. It's, no. it's, it, they are, they're very serious, yeah, the French. So I was there just to make also, it's, we can be enthusiastic about history. It's just very important to, to learn things and laugh at the same time. But that's not very French. So <laughs> I, I, I understand But... it is very English when I see that, um, very, Famous journalists and writers are writing about my book, not just little articles, but whole pages. So you see that English, they like the narrative history. So I'm becoming a little bit Anglophile. I'm so very... glad to hear that. But also, Bart, presumably the reason the French went laughing was because they'd been humiliated because their king had been captured, taken <laughs> yes. to the Tower of London, and they had to pay an absolutely extortionate ransom. Yes. It's but, a, it's a... but as you say, so Philip who comes, he gets given the name The Bold. The, the Bold, he was... Philip was the, the Bold, the his bravery. Eh? The chroniclers in French, they searched something positive, so they named him Philip the Bold because he saved his father on the battlefield. But then he's still the Benjamin of the of the, the French king. He's, he, where, how does he get Burgundy? And that he owes to the plague. It is the then... The, 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 the Duke of Burgundy is also called Philip. It's, I, I'm so sorry. Everybody yeah, in this book is, is, <laughs> they're all called Philip or John, Philip, aren't they? So, I mean. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 it's a lot of complicated, but we can forget about him very quickly because he's killed by the plague and he has, he has no sons, no, no daughters. So the, the Duke of, the Duchy of Burgundy comes back to the crown of France. And John the Good says, now I can thank my, 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 my son because he saved me at the battlefield of Poitiers. And he says, here, there you go, Burgundy. And so you see that the, the, our first founding father is really a man of his time. He's, he, his name, he owes it to the Hundred Years' War and his land to the plague. So, Bart, let me just interrupt you. Yes. Uh, he has been given the Duchy of Burgundy. Yes. So the Duchy of Burgundy is basically Dijon, Yes, and it's the area around Dijon. So it's the Dijon, it's the, it's, Bourne, the, it's the wine area. So in England, we would know that largely because of wine. I'm yeah. going to jump on that because when you say Burgundy in France, in Belgium, um, even in, 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 in England, they think wine and eventually mustard. Moutarde de Dijon. Well, let's look into that because it was Philip the Bold himself. He is banning the Gamay grape to the south. It becomes the grape of Beaujolais. And he's installing the Pinot Noir, the quintessential grape of Burgundy. And he does that in 1395 with his big Ordonnance du Vin. And then later on, at the same moment, he is improving the production of making mustard. I'm, I'm not going yeah. into details. Yeah. So if you think Burgundy, you think <laughs> wine, you think mustard, you should think Philip. Okay, that's a lesson to our listeners there. And but I have to, I mean, I have to say that that is part of what I, I love about this whole theme is that, as you say, I mean, there's a lot of fighting, of murdering, of backstabbing and all that kind of stuff, but there is just so much food and treats <laughs> and feasting. Yes. It's, it's, it's just great. But so, so, so he gets the, the title of Duke of, Burg of, of Burgundy. Yes. How then does he get his hands on the lowlands? 
Yeah, because she's married to, or he's gonna marry Margaret of Flanders. And she's, she's the richest heiress of Europe. And it's, it's incredible because it was also the English king who wanted to marry Flanders. But the English king, the kings, they always win on the battlefield. But when it comes to marrying the marriage bed, the bed then, then yeah. the Burgundians, they win all the time. And so it's, it's the 9th thing of June 1369. And Philip the Bold, the mighty Duke of Burgundy is coming to Ghent. is is, is going to marry the richest Harris of um, of Europe, and we know that just before his wedding, he's taking a bath, and we know that he sprinkled himself with violet perfume. I like those details. He looks through the window and see how the most illustrious counts and dukes of, of Europe struts a strut across the church square like peacocks. But he knows that a few minutes later, when he is going down, he show, will show up as the best dressed man in Europe and all and the, the best other, smelling. They and will the best smell smelling. compared to <laughs> him and become great crows. So I'm, I like to, to, to describe that. And, and <laughs> so it's, 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 Flanders is very important. It's like the, well, you it's say like, you say in your book, you say the Silicon Valley of the Middle Ages. Yes, it is that. It's the richest ca- country of Europe. So what is it it's, that makes it so rich and, and because and it's advanced. the wood cloth industry, of course. There we get uh, the England, England, England peaking, of yeah. course, and the wool of England, very important. Yeah. And there is a demographic boom. I just give some figures. In in about thirteen hundred, there are in Ypres. 20 kilometers from where I live, there are thirty thousand people living there. In in Bruges. Um, 45,000 in Ghent, almost 70,000. And just to, to make it very clear at the same moment in Amsterdam, there are only just 1,000 people living in Amsterdam. Yeah. So I like a lot telling yeah. this. I mean, so, so the only, the only city in, in, um, in Northern Europe that's larger is Paris. I mean, you, yes, th- these Paris. are, these are larger than London. Um, yes, but and they, it's only, it's only Paris. The rest of France is empty. And what do we have? Uh, Ghent. Bruges and Ypres, it's, it's just one day walking away one city yeah. from the other. So it's, it's together. It's bigger than Paris. But it's beyond that. They're also, they've got all kinds of financial innovations. They have the, the origins of what we, what the French yes. they call the Bourse. So yes. basically they're trading stocks. They have guilds. They have the art. Um, they're inventing oil painting, aren't they? Uh, yes, uh, we can discuss a long time. Later. We should talk about yeah. Jan van Eyck uh, at some point, I think. But it is so that there is a lot of money in Flanders and Philip the Bold, he will do amazing stuff with that. To begin with, he will build a monastery near Dijon called Chamol. Oh, Chamol. And now it, it's, it's getting very interesting because to decorate Chamol, he's inviting the biggest artist from the north to Dijon. Uh, let's talk about sculptor Klaus Sluter from Harlem. Let's talk about a painter called Johan Malwal. Is the first... Malwal. 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 That's oh, right. That's that's name. <laughs> it's not my fault he's called this way. <laughs> Sorry, it just sounds... <laughs> yes. Yes, I was, I was the first king of England called. It was a strange name. If you talk about... Uh, Athelstan. Athelstan. Yeah, yes, Nothing uh, wrong with that. That's a very sensible name. That's an excellent name. What are you talking about? It's a great name. <laughs> Athelweird, uh, perhaps. Uh, We've yes. got to stop having these Belgians on our podcast, Tom. <laughs> yes, Insulting yes, our kings. <laughs> but, but, but those Johan Malwal... He's the first Holland painter we know, thanks to the, 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 the how do you say it, the, the, the accountancy of, of, Bur- of, the, Bur- of the Dukes of Burgundy. Um, there is the painter Melchior Bruderland. He's the first Flemish painter we know by name. And now it's very interesting because I say the first, yes, two times I say the first. We are witnessing the birth of art history of yeah. Belgium and, and of the Low Countries, but not, and that's very interesting, in the Low Countries, in Dijon. And that's very interesting. So we have all those artists. They're coming from the north, from Holland, from Zealand, from uh, Brabant, from Flanders. They're coming to Dijon where they are talking their um, their own Dutch, Middle Dutch, their own Middle French. And they're talking and working with each other on that uh, in that famous place called Chamol. And there we see for the first time in history, life in action, the concept of the low countries. We... Dear Dominic, dear Tom, we are born in fine arts, in the arts. We are born in fine arts. And this is such a stimulating idea, provocative idea, that I would really completely understand that now you all heave a sigh of arousal. 
of arousal. The very thought arousal of the th- of the of that thought because it's it's incredible. I'm now, in in our history, yeah. art precedes politics. Isn't that a great idea of origin? Even it is. England cannot say that. Uh, well, no, we can't. Talk, I'm, can we? I'm very I'm very happy very happy to concede that clearly the Low Countries in this period. I mean, it's the great motor of civilization, of finance, of capitalism, everything, of capitalism, art, yeah. of everything that is kind of going to turbocharge the early modern period in a way. Uh, and the Dukes of Burgundy are presiding over this. So, so, so Philip, Philip the Bold. I mean, he he he's become the most powerful figure, presumably in France, because uh, John the Good dies. Uh, you have Charles V, then you have Charles VI, who goes mad. He thinks, thinks he's, he's made, made of, of glass. glass, doesn't he? Yeah. Yes. And Philip basically becomes the regent. Yes, he's the he's the you can say he's the king. He's the king, but he's the regent. But he gets all the power, and he he can use the money of Flanders and the money of France. So yeah, he can do whatever position. he wants. And, but but he he has um, Charles VI has a brother, Louis, the Duke of Orleans. Yes. And this is seeding a problem, isn't it? Yes, because now, yes, is, it, that's the problem, is because after Philip the Bold, we should say, when he dies, there is, there is, there is uh, the sculptor um, that I uh, named uh, a few minutes ago, um, Klaus Schluter, who will carve in Albastrian, how do you say it? An Alabaster. 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 He, will, he will carve some little figures, those famous pleurants, who will carry the, the grave of Philip the Bold, and dear... Um, um, everybody who's, who's listening now, please, when we are done, take a ticket to Burgundy and go to the, the, the Museum of Fine Arts and kneel before those, those little figurines of alabaster. And you will see how those fixtures, uh, how those figures, they, 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 they are, they are coming to life before your eyes. You will feel how the alabaster begins to breathe. We will and try and put that on the, on the tweet yes. that we put out. To, yes, to you, you should it. go there. Yeah. But then, then, yeah, he's dead. John the Fearless, his son is coming on, but he's just the grandson of the, of the, of the, of the king. He's not the son anymore. So he's, he's, he's far away from real power. And the real power now is going to the, the brother of the mad king, Louis of Orleans, and he's going to kill him to be in power again. And that's what's happening in 1407. So John John organizes that, doesn't he? He organizes yes. a, a sort of hit hit series of hitmen. Yes. They attack they attack Louis with axes. Is that right? But isn't yes. there also a detail, Bart, that John thinks <laughs> that Louis of Orleans is sleeping with his wife? Isn't yes, that right? That's, yes, but that's that's a rumor that that is that is running. We don't know if it's right, but that's very interesting because those it makes those dukes and those kings and the first times those dukes. People of flesh and blood. There are a lot of women in this story. There's a lot of adultery. There's a lot of bastards. Um, and we like that. Of course, we like that. We, we, we understand, we understand because they were traveling a lot. Of course, there was a lot of bastards. They were traveling all the time. <laughs> would we have done better? Uh, it's oh, hard to answer that question, isn't I'm it? I'm sure I would have been in a monastery. So probably. <laughs> yeah, you would. Well, maybe not. Who he knows? definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> so, so John, the, so John the Fearless, and he gets his name, doesn't he? Because he's actually been on a crusade, a disastrous crusade to try and stop the Turks from yes. from capturing Constantinople. Oh, yeah, he watched. Um, he watched, didn't he, while everybody else was killed? But it was it's, it's horrible, and I, we should say that it's it's a kind of European coalition. And he is the leader, the military leader. And the English, because we have to talk also about the English, they promised to come, but they didn't show up. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> well, and- we're just sensible behaviour. Just sort of thought, you know. <laughs> we knew it was going to go wrong. And yes, it does go yes. wrong. So, but he gets this name, Sopeur, uh, Fearless. Jean um, Sopeur. So we've had, we've, of race. Uh, we, we've had Philip the Bold. Now we've got John the Fearless. And John yes. the Fearless commissions the assassination of Louis, the Duke of Orleans, in Paris. And Louis leaves a son... Charles, who and am I getting this right? And I hope this isn't confusing the listeners. He is the son of son-in-law of Bernard, Count of Armagnac, and so mm. this kind of basically civil war in France that starts to tear France apart is between the the the, the Armagnacs and the Burgundians. Yes, it's between the French called the Armagnacs and the Burgundians. And this is important for for English history. Because yes. as in, as France starts to tear itself to pieces with the the Armagnacs, the Orleanists on one side, and the Burgundians on the other, in fourteen fifteen, England's most formidable military leader, 
Henry you Louis. don't like him. You don't rate him. Well, we're not going to get into that now. But uh, he's a formidable military leader. Henry lands in, lands yes. in France and wins a, a, another stunning victory at Agincourt. It is. So this is part... So when we talk about Burgundy, basically, it's a kind of three-way swirl, tangle, battle between the, the French, this emergent Burgundian state, and England. Yeah. Yes. So, and because there is that civil war in France, the English, Henry V, he can come from Normandy after Agincourt. He can easily come close to Paris. And then the enemies, the internal enemies in France, they decide we have to make good, we have to make peace. And they are going to organize a peace conference on the bridge, one of the most famous bridges in, in, in French history, also a forgotten bridge. Uh, but but it's, it's in Montereau. 100 kilometers on the south of Paris, and you have to see you have the the the, the French Armagnac delegation on the on on, on one side, the, the the Burgundian with John the Fearless on the other side. They come near to each other, and then John the Fearless is really a great prince. He um he he goes down on his knees, and then. He will be assassinated as a as a dog. Hey, there will be the axe of treason of France on the on the skull of. Uh, it will create a a a, a hole. How you say it? Yeah. A hole in the yes. skull. A hole yes. in the skull. And, yeah. and it's in that hole that that the English come through. In the, in, in yes. England. I remember that from A level. You should go to Montereau. The bridge is still there. Now it's a concrete bridge, of course. And then, and that is very important. You have to look for just a little signboard saying that the Duke of Burgundy, it's just very little, that he was killed as a dog on, in, on, in September 1419. So you, 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 and when you get back at your feet after reading that little board sign, you realize that you are standing in the shadow of a huge equestrian statue of Napoleon. Oh, France summarized yes. in one image. <laughs> Well, there you go. So French. Yourself. So French. <laughs> is it not important that, that the person who is seen to be behind this assassination of John the Fearless? Yes. And it's kind of like a mafia sequence. So, so the Duke of Orleans has been murdered. Now John the Fearless has been murdered. But the person who is seen as being behind it is the Dauphin, the son yeah, yeah, of he's Charles, the, the, the son of Charles VI of France, the, the heir to the French throne. And so the Burgundians, in the wake of John the Fearless's assassination, blame the French monarchy. And there is an alternative king in the form of Henry V waiting to take over. Right. Stop, Tom. The producer told me two minutes ago to take us into a break. You <laughs> derailed that by talking too much. So <laughs> we're now going to take a break to have some adverts. Although, of course, if you're a member of the Rest is History Club, you won't be getting the adverts. And what insane value that that membership of that club is, isn't it, Donald? What is it, £6 a, a, oh, a month? cheap. I mean, that's oh, nothing. Just, anyway, yeah. uh, that's the advert <laughs> for our club. Right, we're going into the break, and then Bart will come back, and he will talk to us about a very exciting man, Philip the Good. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. 
In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. Uh, unless Tom derails this again, uh, <laughs> we are talking about the Burgundians. We have seen off Philip the Bold, Bold and John the Fearless. So we're now on to number three, Philip the Good. We are in, what, 1419? And Bart Van Loo, yeah. the Mr. Burgundy, the, <laughs> the, the, the Edward Gibbon of the Burgundians, is going to take us through it. So Philip the Good, he's, you describe him in your book as an erotomaniac. We oh, always yes, like yes. we always like a oversexed is the title we, of the yeah, chapter. Twenty six <laughs> bastards, twenty six <laughs> bastards. But it's that are the, the, the official numbers. So unofficially, unofficially, it should be seventy three, I think. But he was traveling a lot, as I said. Seventy three. That's almost as many. As is boring. that what happens if you travel? Is that? <laughs> I mean, you've mentioned traveling already. Is this just a sort of? What is this about traveling and bastards? I mean, is that I, just an inevitability? I don't, but, but how could you explain? It? They, they didn't show each other very much. Uh, the, the 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 duke and his wife and a girl in every in, trading center. But I, t- yeah. I have to say that my wife she called me yesterday, and, and I'm doing a, a Burgundian tournée now in Flemish and Holland. Uh, Dutch theatres, and she said, Bart, I don't want to bother uh, what you're doing, but you're travelling a lot now. Which <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dear. <laughs> those, those, dread, those, those telltale words. Okay, so Bart, if he's, if he's going around cheating on yes. his wife and having loads yeah. of bastards, why is he called Philip the Good? He sounds yeah, like oh, the Philip the Good, Philip the Good. That is very, it's, it's centuries later that we call him ah, Philip okay. the Good. So okay. that's, it's, it doesn't, because it's, that's a posterior uh, way of seeing things. But we have to imagine. Philip the Good, he's 23 years old, he's in Ghent, in the Prinsenhof, um, and then he hears about, it's a bishop, he's knocking on the door, he says, your father is being killed in the bridge of Montereau, and he, he, he's there with his wife, his wife Michelle de, of France, and they, they faint, they, they, can't ex- they can't accept what, is, what happened, they can't understand what happened, and you should know that he's married to this Michelle de France, and that she's the sister of the crown prince, who commanded the murder on the bridge of Montero, just if you imagine but what that's those family parties are going to be uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, afterwards. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and Christmas he, will be a bit difficult. And uh, when he comes to, uh, when, he, when he wakens up uh, for, after being fainted, the first thing he cries, he's, he's screaming to his, to his wife, he's, 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 he's yelling, Michel, your brother killed my father. Well, it is Shakespeare, but in real life. And now it's up to him. Hey, he who will organize the most exquisite banquets and tournaments, who will be the most important founding father of the Low Countries, the man who will create the Golden Fleece, <laughs> Philip the Good, the man who six centuries later will make it to the cover of a book. <laughs> <laughs> True fame. True fame. That, that's um, very, so, so, very so good. Bart, very Bart, good, Bart. We, well we, done. <laughs> so, so looking at Philip, Philip the Good, could we do it in, in two parts? First of all, could yes. we look at his engagement in the Hundred Years' War? Because, yes. um, as, yes, as Barry Grogan said, you know, this is, this is the Joan of Arc sequence. And it's, so it's probably something that people in England would be interested in. Um, yes. and then could we look at the splendor, the tournaments, the ah, yes. dwarves, the chivalry, all that kind of stuff? Yes. So we'll come to that. First. But first yeah. of all, so, so in the wake of, um, John the Fearless's murder, Philip the Good signs the Treaty of Troyes. The treachery, treachery, as the as the, no, as the French no, sensi- still, still say today. No, as a, a sensible rapprochement with the rightful king of France, <laughs> Henry V. <V. laughs> yes, and uh, now you can you can pit, you can put some trumpets. It's possible because Henry V <laughs> will marry Catherine, the daughter of King Charles VI, after the death of whom he will be the next king of France. Henry V laughed up as his sleeve. He had spent three years of conquering Normandy, and now in one day, France is being dropped in his lap. In his, yeah. in his, it, it, it's a, so you should, you should put some English trumpets now. <laughs> okay. Jack, Jack. If we could have some, some, some English trumpets. <laughs> so, um, the Burgundians entered the, the Hundred Years' War basically on the English side. Um, and Charles, Charles VI, the Mad King, um, dies. Uh, his son, 
Charles VII has been dispossessed yes. uh, and basically gets pushed south of the Loire. Uh, he, he's he's desperately struggling, you know, to to to, to keep a kind of a, a hold on this kind of rump of France, and it's at this point that a witch appears. Yeah, definitely a witch, a sorceress, <laughs> a sorceress, yes. an yes. evil sorceress known yes. to posterity as Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc. So that's um, yes, yes. And, and so so Joan of Arc with her power, her necromantic powers. Tom, let um, Bart tell the story. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I just wanted to so excited about it. But I just wanted. <laughs> he can't so, stop talking, Bart. Yes, so so Joan, of, Joan of Arc saves Orleans from the English attack, and, and yep. then in due course, she gets captured by Burgundians. And what's the Burgundians still doing? Doing? Oh, no, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. say anything. Bart can leave. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, no, I am getting right. excited. But, but I, I have to. But what I what I like to say is that she's doing that that enormous, gigantic historical trip from Don Remy to Chino, where he will convince the French king that. He will give the military lead of his army to, to, to her. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's something we, we can't understand it. It's, 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 it's a story. It's, it's, how would you say the story tale? I don't know. It's a fairy tale. It's, fairy it's, tale. it's incredible to, to understand. Uh, and she is, is doing that. And then she will, it's, she will, uh, conquers Orleans that the French always talk about. And now we have Zemmour in French. In France, he's still, it's incredible, but he's, uh, he's putting again French, uh, Joan of Arc in the, at the first place now. But that's another story. We're not going to talk about uh, Eric Zemmour, and we should cut this out of the podcast. No publicity for Eric Zemmour. <laughs> okay, but, <forget> uh, him. <laughs> but and and then she will conquer everything we know about it. She will go to the sacre of the King of France and Rams, which she 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 she, she realized it. And then we have Charles the Seventh. He's being crowned and sacred as the new French king. And then. It will be again, as, as Tom already announced. It, it's 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 by uh, Compiègne that the troops of of Burgundy will capture um, Joan of Arc, and Joan of Arc will be led to Philip the Good. It's incredible. You have two of the main, the, the most important people of, of of that century. They are facing each other. We and thanks to God, we have the chroniclers. The chroniclers they, they tell us everything. They tell us that there are two hundred squirrels in in the clothes of Margaret of Flanders. We, we, if we want to know anything, we can check it out. But there, there's nothing. They don't say a word about the meeting between Philip the Good and Joan of Arc. That's amazing. I think she she standed up to him. I think she maybe spoke up against him. And, and do you and, think and they, it's because of shame? Do they feel embarrassed that they they then sell her onto the English who burn her? It's I no, I don't think so. I didn't because Philip the Good he's he's just thinking what can I do and he's he is having trouble with England again at that moment and and the, for the wool cloth industry it's so important that the the, the relations the economic relations with England are fine no excellent so it's just it's just uh, how do you say it we, we call it uh, it's like selling a cow he, he just he sells <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he yeah. sells uh, yeah. Joan of Arc to England. And we knows the Englands are the are the bad guys because it are the English people who burnt Joan of Arc. Well, I don't think that's. I mean, I, <laughs> I think mean, yes, they did it. Yeah, they did I mean, it. Calm down, just, but I mean, if, and, I, do you know why they did it? They just well, she's a witch because she's, <laughs> she's a witch. Pretty straightforward. Because they want, but it, she isn't a witch. Even Philip the Good didn't think she was a witch. He, he doesn't uh, think about witchcraft. She's the, the kind of the Greta Thunberg of. <laughs> yes. of the 15th century oh, yes in, in some kind um, and, and so uh, the English they will burn her just to prove that it's a witch who helped the French king to his throne it's only about politicals it, it, that's, that's everything and, okay. and, and, and that's yeah. if, you, well, if you can't stand the heat don't meddle in politics that's well I mean I, I, I think listeners should be warned that that of course is very much a, a Belgian perspective on <laughs> 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 and therefore not necessarily to be taken yeah. entirely Seriously. Uh, so this witch is, so Joan of Arc, the witch is burnt. Um, but then it all goes wrong for England because the Burgundians treacherously jump ship um, in, uh, in in 1435. Yes. They go back on their treaty with England and sign up to France. Yes. And that essentially dooms England, the, the possibility of England holding yes. on to France. And that that's the end of the, it's, it's the, it's almost the end of the hundred years war. Yeah. It will follow um, um, in the 1450. 53 
um, a, a little bit later on. Um, but, but, but it's right. It's the end of, of, of the English power in France. And that's what the French forgot because they always talking about the, tr about the tree, uh, the, 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 the treason of the Burgundians. But, Fifteen years later, later, um, uh, Philip the Good is 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 forgetting about it. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, throws yeah, the of, English yeah. uh, outside of of the country. So he he's thinking about power. It's what we call um, um, a cynical way of trying to get in power. So yeah. he's he's moving between France and England, weakening them both. So yeah. he could be the first man in Europe, and he could go on by puzzling together the low countries. At this point, he has this realm, which basically goes from the low countries. So it's it's expanded, hasn't it? It's it's basically modern-day Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, yes. down into kind of sort Burgundy. of central eastern France, i.e. Burgundy. Yes. But he's also got the most glittering court in Europe. He's got these absolute economic powerhouses of Ghent and Bruges. So is he basically the top dog in Europe at this point? <laughs> oh, you? yes. He is, he is, because he's weakening France, he's weakening um, England, and he's the, the, the great duke of the Occident, as he is called. Mm -hmm. um, and he wants to be a king, like his son, Ferdinand, wants to be a king. They will almost, one centimeter of that, they will succeed almost, but they will fail eventually. But he's the number one in Europe, and so, but that, that is, he, and, and, and he wants to show off. So, that, so now well, we get into the so, banquet. So, so Bart, the, Bart yes, can, I just, can I just read uh, an extract from your book? Yes. Which I enjoyed so, mu so much I wrote it down. And this is a description of, of a typical Burgundian banquet. The cook stuffed bellies with strings of sausages that spurted onto the table like grandiose rosary beads when the belly was cut open. They decorated bustards with precious stones, dressed hazel grouses in golden habits, served pork in the shape of a fish, fixed a cat's ears on a hair, attached a chicken's head to a rabbit's body, or cooked a dozen gigantic eggs in pork bladders. I mean, Is that how you still eat today, Bart? <laughs> I, oh, there, there are readers who try to make those gigantic eggs in, por in, in pork bladders, but it's it's very I would love to go to a feast like that. But if somebody could could try. Uh, oh, why it'd not? Be amazing. It'd be amazing. And so there were also there was also a, uh, how do you say it? A, a capon dressed in armor, yep. sitting astride on those roasted pigs stuffed with those <laughs> little sausages, and that was carried by four Hungarian dwarfs into the. Okay, so now the dwarfs. Yes. So, these are, so let's get to the talk us through the dwarves. Why the obsession with dwarves? I don't know why. It's just it's they, they bought them in Eastern Europe, and it's incredible. You see them in um, in for the first time in at the end of the 14th century. They were going on in 1430 with the marriage of Philip the Good. Then you see them also in 1454 with the banquet of the pheasant, and they're and they're often called. Hans. So that is, uh, no, Hans is a giant because you have a dwarf and a giant. And the giant yes. is called Hans. And I think he's going on for almost 30, it, 40 years of banquets. So he's like a professional banquet. And he's a giant. He's, yeah. He's yes. a giant. And he, and he's the guy who leads in yes. an automated elephant. <laughs> yes. With 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 a with a is it a dwarf on top who's no, symbolizing no, the church of Constantinople it, it's or something? The most beautiful wife, but in yeah. real it was it was a man who was changed into a woman. So uh, yes, it's 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 incredible. You've and, also and, got at one point a wild boar being ridden by a gnome. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, you see what I, I said they were massive lads. I mean, you get so. a fire-breathing peacock. You get a gigantic pie with twenty-eight musicians in it. It's it's and now that's a lot of fun. And that's God knows that, I, so, that, so, that, that that I like. But the, the, you have to ask one question: Why did they do so? That's well, the question well, to ask. Well, why? For the people tell us. Because we are. We explained the Hundred Years' War. So we have the English and the French. They, they have become a, pale, become a pale copy of their ancient power. They are tired, almost passed out. There is a power vacuum. And the Burgundians want to fill that up. But they are very well aware of the fact that there are no kings. They are just dukes. Yeah. So they jump in the vacuum with pump and circumstance, with medieval bling-bling, so that everybody around... Only could say one thing. That is what real kings are about. Those yeah. dukes are really royal. Right. And if they hadn't made artworks of their feasts and banquets in Dutch, we should have been looking for another 
were to talk about our Burgundian pleasures. We say in Dutch, my father is a real Burgundian. And it means that he likes eating, drinking, feasting. So and having fun with dwarves. So these dwarves, dwarves, just sorry, just to say, Tom loves loves the dwarves. But but I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, because because when when I, um, when I did A-level, I I read this famous book by a Dutch historian, Jan Huizinger, uh, which in in English, Huizinger, sorry, uh, is uh, translated into English as um, the, uh, the waning of the Middle Ages. And there was a whole thing about dwarves in that. So there's Madame Dor, the blonde dwarf of Philip the Good, who was made to wrestle at a court festival with the acrobat Hans, who I guess is this giant. At the wedding feasts of Charles the Bold, who's Philip's son, Madame de Beaugrand, the female dwarf of Mademoiselle of Burgundy, enters dressed like a shepherdess, mounted on a golden lion larger than a horse. I mean, it's all, it's on one level. Crazy, isn't it? Completely completely odd, but on another kind of magnificent. Well, that's what it's about, though, isn't it? About a display of magnificence, as Bart said. That's all about status, right? Yes, to 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 show off, and it's so you have then that is it's little big history. You get little anecdotes, and they are fun. We are we're talking and laughing about them, but it it illustrates the political powers moving during the hundreds. Yes, yeah, you are. So yeah. that's the, the, the little big history. La grande petite histoire, as says Honoré de Balzac. And that's yeah. what I like doing in a history book. But there is one other thing, which, and you, you, t- you mentioned it very fleetingly, Bart, and that's the Order of the Golden Fleece. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So the Order of the Golden Fleece, so, so you're talking what about you how, how the Duke of Burgundy is not a king. But yes, the Order he? of the Golden Fleece becomes the preeminent chivalric order in the whole of Europe, doesn't it? Yes, it's it's it's. it's He's sending out an international message. So it's a chivalric order. Everybody knows about it. It's a chivalric order. Normally only kings have them. And he's sending out an international message. It was a message laden with brocade, velvet and jewels. But it made it no less heartful funding of the Burgundian nose at France and England. The fact he was saying, without betting an eye, that he took his place beside the king's of England and France, and that he was thinking maybe of becoming king himself. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, 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 it's a chivalric order, but it's also political play. And, right. and to this, I mean, Elizabeth II, the, our, yeah. our queen in the UK, is a member of it. Well, that's because it's taken on by the Habsburgs, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. They yes, basically yes. inherit it. So it's, oh, so it's um, so. Nicolas Sarkozy. See? Yes. He's a member of it too. No. Are you? Do you have aspirations of being a member of it, Bart? Um, of the the Golden Fleece? No, yeah, you have yeah. to be. I, I think it's impossible. You should be a leader of a country or well, you need to carve out a, 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 you need to out a kingdom in, no, in the no. middle Maybe of Europe. Maybe the and... Légion uh, d'honneur in France. It would be nice. But France already gave me a French woman, so that's even better. Okay. Than, than every Légion <laughs> wow. d'honneur. So dynastic, yeah. dynastic uh, right. power building going on there. Right. Let me wrestle this back to the narrative. So we've had. Philip the Bold, John the Fearless. Philip the Good dies in 1433, and he is succeeded, admittedly slightly confusingly, by Charles the Bold. So we've yes. got another Bold. Um, though it's, uh, that's only in English, isn't it? It's not in French that they're the yes, same, Yes, it's I a think. Charles le Temeraire. It's a better name. It, yes. We should have called him Charles the Reckless, I think. Right. Right. That would be better, because the Bold, it's, it's, I, I'm sorry, it's not good. But Okay. Uh, but so, so Charles is very different from his erotomaniac father. He's very <laughs> sort of repressed and violent, isn't he? He obviously has some kinds of hang-ups and issues. Maybe um, he's homosexual. We don't know. He, 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 he doesn't have any bastards, just one daughter. And that is maybe his biggest political failure. Feeling, yeah. Right. Because uh, it's he, at this she, point that Burgundy, am I right in thinking it's a, it's about this point that if you think of it as a sort of trajectory, Burgundy has peaked and is about to dip. Is that right? Yes. But, but it's peaking still the first 10 years of, of, of Charles the Bold, Charles the Reckless, because Let's put it this way. We have Burgundy in the south, the, the old duchy. And then Philip the Bold and Philip the Good, they put together the low countries in the north. But it, 
and uh, Burgundy, the old duchy, became a kind of satellite because it's it's not relied to. And then Philip the Bold, in ten years' time, with a lot of conquering stuff, he's going to 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 combine those two um, territorials with 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 Alsace and everything German and, and French and uh, party uh, parts of France and Germany. He will conquer them, and then you have one little how do you call it uh, uh, the the an ein Mittelreich uh, of Deutsch. Uh, le, 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 <laughs> The, the, the middle, middle reign, a middle, the middle kingdom, empire yeah. in Thuringia. Yeah. He, he, he made it. He made it, but he made it too much, to with a, a kind of hubris. So he finds his death in the snow, because in the snow of, of of Nancy, where he's beaten up by the Swiss. But the Swiss were sponsored by. Uh, Louis XI, Louis XI, um, the, the French king. It's the for the French. It was. Spider. It, Yes, the universal spider. It's for, for the French people. It's like winning the World Cup of football, of soccer, without being there. They just sponsored the Swiss to do the dirty job for them. And then what happens then is that after the death of Charles the Bold, Burgundy becomes, uh, how do you say it? Um, um, uh, with a, a giant on 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 on, free, on wooden feet. I don't know. I'd say it on co- colors. Oh, clay feet. On, uh, clay feet. Uh, uh, yes. Feet of clay. Yeah. Feet of clay. So at that point, after his death, uh, Burgundy becomes uh, a colors of of clay feet on clay feet, and so France and the Holy Roman Empire they they are eager to reconquer what they lost, and they're gonna fight up, and they're gonna, for instance, everything in the south they will reconquer. So the old Duchy of Burgundy. It, it, it's, it's going back, back up to by France. France. Yeah. But in the north, they don't succeed thanks to Mary of Burgundy and Maximilian of Austria. So the northern part, the low countries will still go on about a century. And there we have the real heritage of the Burgundian yeah. era. It's that part because Burgundia it, itself, it, it, it becomes a part of the French crown. So, 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 but, so, so. Mary, who in in English is known as Mary the Rich. I don't know if she is in. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Marie de Reichen, Marie yeah. de Reichen. Yes. So, so Mary the Rich, who is uh, Charles's only surviving child, as you say, marries Maximilian of Habsburg, who then becomes emperor. And it's yes. it's through that line that Emperor Charles V, yes, Philip the second, in the 16th century, inherit the Low Countries, which will with the Reformation and so on lead to kind of religious wars and, and in the long run, the emergence of the Dutch Republic. And the Spanish Netherlands. And, and the Spanish, Spanish Netherlands. Yes, and what we, we come afterwards uh, will be Belgium, of course. That's right. And I described um, Charles Quint, as we call him in French. How do you say him? In, 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 I'd say, uh, um, uh, we, we say Emperor Charles. How do you call him? Charles yeah, Charles V. Charles V. Yeah. Oh, but you also have a Charles V in England, so it's there is no... No, we don't. No, we've got Charles II. We only stop uh, yes. at the second uh, of Charles uh, Yes, of so Charles V. And I describe him as the last Burgundian because his ultimate dream is to be buried in Chamol next to the Pleurance carved in alabaster by Sluter next to Philip the Bold and John the Fearless. And it's the biggest frustration of the man who almost has all Europe... And the half of the world in his pocket. He wants to be buried as a Burgundian Duke, but that will not happen. So that's interesting, Bart. So in other words, for Charles V, so a man who basically owns much of you know South America, yes. who's the richest man in the world, probably the most powerful man of the age. So for him, the Burgundian heritage really matters. The sort of is it the romance, yes. the glamour? What is it about Burgundy? Because he, he was raised by his aunt, uh, Margaret of Austria. We should call her Margaret of Mechelen. That should be better. And uh, she was never in in, in Vienna, for, for instance. But but, but and, and she, she raised him in that Burgundian um, spirit of beauty, of propaganda, of literature, of of good eating, and and and, and he loves it. And it will stop when he dies. When then we have Philip the mm. Second, that not a, very not a party severe man. Yeah. Catholic, not a party man. It's N- over. Not, and a, even not a friend he, of the show. He's not talking <laughs> Dutch. He's not talking French anymore. It's the end of the Burgundian Low yeah. Countries of the Burgundian era. It is the end of you say my book. Uh, so at that point, economically, because we haven't massively talked about the sort of economics of it all yes. in, the, in this episode, but so at that point, Bruges and Ghent anyway have lost their primacy. To Antwerp and yes. Amsterdam. Is that no, right? That is, yes, and why yes, does right. that happen? Well, it, it happened. That has to do with Maximilian, uh, Maximilian of Austria. So we have Bruges and Ghent are the superpowers when we talk about cities 
in the in, in the Middle Ages. But then we have two things. And then you have to help me first uh, in English. We have the problem with the, the Zwin, uh, that is the, the, the water with, which relies Bruges to the sea. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's yes, drying up. I, yeah. I, can okay. I say it this way? Yes, it's, it's drying, it's drying exactly. up. That's the first reason. And the second reason is that there is, when Maximilian is coming, is saving Flanders from France after the death of Charles <laughs> the Bold, but is, it's a kind of absolute power and he installs it in, in Flanders, in Brabant. And we don't like that here. So there is a kind of civil war going on between Ghent, Bruges and Maximilian. But Antwerp chooses the side of Maximilian. So after that civilian war, he, he almost obliged the, the, the salesman from Bruges to move to Antwerp. So we have the, right. the, the drying up of Zwin. We have all the salesmen and women, well, salesmen at the time, going to Antwerp. And then we have the rising of Antwerp. And that will go on for less than a century. But then we have the religion wars, yeah. the Catholics and the Calvinists. And then uh, Antwerp will go down and it will be... Amsterdam goes uh, on. Amsterdam yeah. will, take, um, will take advantage of that. So, so Bart, just, just, just to end. So, I mean, that's kind of an amazing tour of this fascinating and, and unjustly forgotten period of, of European history. Um, two questions. One from Tom Flanagan. Could the Low Countries be seen as the successor states to the duchy? And one, a more specific one from Patrick Kennedy. To what extent has Burgundy influenced the identity of Belgium? Oh, it's a, a, a lot of questions. The first, of course, it is, it is, it is the, when we talk about Burgundy now, we, do, we talk about wine, we talk about Jan van Eyck, we didn't talk about Jan van Eyck, we should, we should do again, uh, talk, see again, but yeah, great, yes, yeah. uh, of, 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 so much things, uh, we talk about art, but we should talk, and we never talked about it, about the, that the Low Countries is really, it is the most visible heritage of the Burgundian era, and I think that explains maybe the success of my book in our country, because we forgot about it, because for reasons of national novel I don't know if you have that concept in England a national novel, a national, national history story, national, national story yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we talk about the separation of the north and the south as the beginning of our national history and, but, but there was that Burgundian golden age before and it was that golden age that created the low countries who split it up afterwards and then the, the other uh, question is it um, about Belgium about um, Belgium that, that yes does it influence Belgium they identity? didn't create Belgium but without the Burgundian dukes we never could have invented Belgium in in 1830 and it, it had a lot more to do with with Europe, I think, because we, we have to see, we have to imagine Philip the Bold in his fairy tale palace in Brussels with a big bag, and in that bag all those countries he and all those duchies and counties that he that he conquered, and he really, really fastly he, he was aware of the fact that it, it it it's when you put a lot of countries in one bag, you don't create automatically a sense of unity. I should just should whisper one name, Europe. That's a European problem avant la lettre. And he's dealing with it like Europe has done it and has to do it again by reforming on, on, on a jur jur uh, jurisdictional level, monetary. Yeah. He creates a euro avant la lettre, uh, a, uh, a monetary union. Uni oh, I would just say the yeah, monet mon monetary union. Yeah. Monetary yeah. union. So, so it's, 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 it, that is very interesting. We see a kind of, yes, it's a kind of European, uh, way of sorting out problems. But, but quick we question, yes. quick question, interruption. So that, the implication of what you're saying is that Burgundy, he's trying to create an artificial state. Yes, um, it is. And, and so does that make it inevitable that it will fail? Do you think? I don't know. In the beginning, England was also an artificial state. You, you get a fight and to, to, to put different people together who didn't want to belong together. It was in Germany. It was in Italy. In Germany, it, it, it lasted for more than a thousand years before yeah. they, they really got together. Yeah. So all states are some in some way artificial. Only when they lasted long enough, it, it becomes like yeah. it's natural. Fair, fair okay, so, yes. so, so I think the last question for before we finish, is from Denver Brito, who, who just asked, do you think Burgundy had a real shot at becoming independent? If Charles had been less bold, if Louis had been less of yes. a spider, uh, if the ever-acquisitive Habsburgs hadn't managed to acquire the Burgundy inheritance, could oh. things have gone the other way? Oh, no, you know, could you in... literally now be a Burgundian? Oh, yes, I, I am. I am a Burgundian. I feel Belgian, Flemish, Brabant, uh, Holland. I'm married to a French woman who was born in Burgundy. I'm a melange. I'm a Burgundian melange and I'm, I'm proud of it. But yes, that's counterfactual history. What if, uh, to not to mention the name Ukraine, and of course we all 
could dream about that Middle Reich. No, no, Middle Reich. That's so German. That, that Middle <laughs> Empire in Europe between France, between France and 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 Germany, a, a country where they speak Dutch, where they speak German, where they speak uh, French. It would, it would, yeah. it, they, they would have a shot if Charles the Bold was, if he would have made some boys. If he would yeah. be as patient yeah. as his father, but oh, that's so difficult to. But to do, predict. do you do you regret it then? Do you are, are you sad that? So every Sunday morning, a bit, <laughs> oh. I regret it. But we we mustn't face history with regret. I think that that's not a good way to look at it. But every Sunday morning, a bit, I do. Okay. And oh. well, I, I should that's say a, that I'm such a very, sad note in which to end. <laughs> Yes, but because the Burgundians almost they invaded England. It was Philip yeah. the Bold. He parted from the Flemish town of Slaas in 1386, and it's, it's, it's a, among the most spectacular pages in my book. And it, though impressive and spectacular, it's a failed invasion. But I'm so glad that 635 years after the failed Burgundian invasion of England, the Burgundians finally <laughs> crossed the Channel. And I should say, you better keep a good watch on those dukes, but. Before you know, they will take over the whole country. <laughs> well, a terrifying note on which to end. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a warning. Yes, a warning from across the sea. Um, Bart, thanks so much. That was Thank an you, absolute torture force. Um, and it's for it's a brilliant me. book. Your book, The Burgundians: A Vanished Empire History. A, a great wow. Christmas present if you're looking for Christmas presents for people who are interested in history. And I think also, you know, it would hugely encourage you to diversify your Christmas feast, wouldn't it? It would. Oh, yes, you uh, find full, full of great, great cooking ideas. Yes, a good banquet. Rabbits with cat's some, heads and yeah, all kinds yes. of mad stuff. Hungarian so, dwarfs, yes. <laughs> yeah, and dwarfs, of course. <laughs> What's a Christmas feast without a dwarf? Um, so, Bart, thanks so much. Uh, Thank you. And Thank you. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And um, we will be back next week for two very, very festive shows. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com.